on our journey about speaking about vision and and outlaying some of what um, God put on our hearts when we first um, came into leading this church. And we've been going through this. The reason that I didn't want to just do this on one Sunday and the reason I want to unpack all of this is that there's each one of these points that we feel God shared with us has a, a, a biblical representation. And I, I want us to pick up the fact that it's not just buzzwords. We haven't just chosen these four buzzwords because they sound nice and they'll look good on a poster. We actually believe that there is a biblical outworking of each of these points and that us as a community, not just Jess and I, all of us pick up this mantle and carry it into where God has for us. So I wanted to break each one of them down and explain the importance because they're these are important to this house and I believe that through these four areas we're going to actually see change in this city and I know that as a church leader it's my job to say that but I really honestly do believe it there's times where I've sat with God and and, and said are you serious do you really is this really going to have impact in a city like really and every time I come away from those times I go into those times a bit um upset's not the right word um apprehensive and I come out of those times so pumped up looking back at what God's showed me and going okay we this is going to change this city even if it's seeds planted and that there's a future generation that get to reap of the harvest what we're doing here in this is so important and I'm going to explain a little bit of that today so we've been through two points what were the first two points yes the slide's not up there focus and reform we want to reform the church back to her original purpose back to what was originally put before her and, and what was explained in the New Testament as, as what we're supposed to be doing. And then we want to do that by focusing on Christ and not shifting our gaze from who he is. The next point that I want to, I want to explain is discipleship. Now, just about every church that you go into will have these two points on their vision um, board or vision explanation because we you really can't negate these two points in the scriptures matthew 28 18 to 20 says and jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit which means bringing them into the fullness of him teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i am with you always to the end of the age so it's hard to it's hard to thank you damon I felt like it was just me. I'm sweating bullets up here. Uh, it's hard to, to be in a church without having this as a, a primary objective. It is clear in Scripture that our objective is to go into all of the nations and make disciples. Pretty clear. We can't get away from that. But the interesting thing in this is, is that, and I've chosen to do disciple next, because I believe that we have to understand what a disciple is before we can actually go out and make a disciple. We have a lot of the church focused on on getting people saved and, and bringing people in, but not a whole lot of the church is really working out what does it mean to A, be a disciple, and then B, make disciples. So discipleship is done in the house and in our individual homes with each other and then taken out from that place. We spent quite a, a long time here on Friday night with a few of the guys and we got to just chat and joke and laugh and We'd go from talking about what song was playing and how we remembered it growing up and what memories are brought back to then deep theological discussion, then on to 
something hilarious back onto. And what we moved through in that were conversations that were feeding our soul as we were joking and laughing and doing life together. That is a picture of us discipling one another and growing into who he is. But then when we go out, we can take that to others and go, oh man, I had this awesome, I heard this awesome perspective that a friend of mine had. This is what it looks like. And all of a sudden, that conversation that we had at one o'clock in the morning upstairs is incredibly fruitful and can enter into other spheres of influence. Does that make sense? So I want to speak about I want to speak about discipleship and what it means to become a disciple. But in order to do that, I need to go back to ancient Hebrew times and have a look at what a disciple actually is. We don't have disciples in our contemporary everyday life. You don't go to school to become a disciple of the Queensland education system. Damon's not working, making little disciples to him. So it's a picture that we have to understand from an ancient Hebrew time to, to, to work out what it means to actually be a Hebrew. So in, in, in ancient Hebrew time, every kid wanted to be a disciple. It was the, well, well, most every kid, it was the most honorable job that they could do. There was two jobs that you would do in, in Hebrew culture. You would get the honor and ask to, to, if you could pass the test, which I'm going to explain in a second, to become, to go and learn to become a disciple, or you would take up your father's work. And your father's work was kind of like that. I didn't quite make it to be a disciple, so I'm taking up my father's work. Almost like a second best, but it's still okay if hopefully my, farmer was, my father wasn't a pig farmer. But those that got offered to become rabbis or go into the school to become a disciple, to become a rabbi, were the best of the best of the best, the most elite of, of children. And what they had to do in order to get offered the opportunity to, be, to go into discipleship school was that they, by age six, they had to memorize Leviticus, our book, Leviticus. Has anyone read Leviticus start to finish? It's pretty wild. It's pretty boring. It's pretty, pretty, you're reading it thinking to yourself, what in the world am I doing in here? They had to memorize it by age six. I don't even know if I could read at age six. And they had to, they had to memorize it. Now, they wouldn't have been read the text, they wouldn't read the text Really, they would have been spoken it through their father. What their father remembered would have been, would have been reteaching Leviticus. Once they'd finished that, at age six, they were allowed to, to sit a test to enter what was called the Bet Shefer, which was the first studying to become, it was, it was kind of like the, the level into to, uh, discipleship school. It was called the school of the book. So they had to learn and memorize. So they had to firstly learn Leviticus, then they had to recite the full of, of Leviticus without missing anything, and then sit a specific test, what does it say in this specific verse, then they could go on to discipleship training. So then they would move into, from age 12 to age 30, was called the Bet Talmud, and it was called the School of the Disciple. And what they had to learn was they had to continue to memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Memorize. From start to finish, they had to know the entire book. All of those books they had to know well. And then they would get to sit a test. Now, you think to yourself, well, if they've got to sit a test, they've already memorized it. What could the test be? But this is, is so incredible to me. They had to sit the test, but the test was they would be asked by other rabbis particular questions and they would pass the test by the way they posed a different question. And the reason that they would do this is it opened a discussion 
that kept the conversation about God alive. So they had to learn all the text and memorize them. And then they had to enter into a conversation with the rabbi. And the rabbi had to be amazed by the way that they asked questions and provoked thought around the scriptures they had learned. That's why the, the scriptures say that the rabbis were am amazed by the way that Jesus was able to ask questions. Because he asked questions that kept the conversation alive. I'm finding more and more in our society today, the questions, the way we ask questions to keep a conversation alive is, is imperative in the way that we talk to one another. Because if I make a statement and someone asks me a question, I can't answer the question, my statement starts to get a little bit shaky. So when, when I'm discussing scripture with people, when Brad and I discuss scripture, we ask each other questions based on what we've said. Because if you can't answer the question, you need to go back to your original premise and rethink it. So, so for example, if I say one thing and then you say, okay, but what about this? How does this verse fit into that? And you go, oh, I'm not too sure how that fits in. Let's rethink it. So the way that they would have to do from age 12 to 30, they were learning Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and they had to then be tested on how they asked questions. This is going to make sense once I get to the end, I promise. Bear with me. And if nothing else, you'll at least know how to become a, a rabbi if you want to go that direction. So they spent, they spent from age 12 to 30 studying, learning, how, learning the scriptures, memorizing them, learning how to ask questions. And there were five different levels, five different stages that all have funny Jewish names, but there was five stages. The final stage was almost never reached by most disciples. We, have, we, we know of in our scriptures one that carried this thing called Semika. And what Samika is, is authority. They carried, they, they finished their school and they were given by two or more witnesses the authority that they had passed the school so well that they could create their own what they called yoke. So a yoke was the message that that particular disciple carried, that particular rabbi carried. Is everyone following me? Anyone lost? Okay, they'd go through discipleship school, they'd go through the five levels, and the final one, they, not many passed. We know of, of none in the scriptures, but there are others that we can read of that would get to have a yoke, a certain message that they could interpret the, the scriptures from their lens. If they didn't have the authority, they had to determine the scriptures from, their, from the rabbi who taught them's lens. Okay, does that make sense? So now we take this to Jesus. Jesus comes, we see Jesus come back at age 30. Now, it's, I'm not going to get into it, but it's a, it's a long argument as to whether or not Jesus actually went through the, the um, Hebrew school. I believe that he did. I think it's clear. That's why we, ha we, we don't see him during that time. The, the other um, Pharisees called him unlearned, yet they still call him rabbi. That wasn't an easy, easy name to get. You didn't just go around and call any um, person <laughs> Any person, rabbi, sorry, I just had a, a thing my mum used to say, which, yes, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> you, you didn't just call anybody rabbi. Rabbi was somebody who was well-trained, well-learned. So Jesus comes in at, at, at age 30, we see him enter, and when he's baptized, we see two things, which is phenomenal. First, with John the Baptist, in Mark 3.11, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. And then we see again, after Jesus is baptized, Matthew 3.17, God comes down, he says, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son, 
with whom I am well pleased. There's two witnesses who give Jesus the authority or the semika to carry as a rabbi and explain his yoke, his story, his message and interpretation of the scriptures. Two witnesses who give him the authority. That's why when we see throughout the scriptures and it says that Jesus had the authority because he was given it at the end of his discipleship training school and in his baptism, he was given the authority to have his own yoke. What, are the, what does the Bible say about Jesus' yoke? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's not talking about eggs. It wasn't talking about how he made eggs in the morning. It's talking about my message. My message, what I carry, is easy and my burden is light. Every other yoke that came before Jesus was not easy and was not light. Because when they carried the law, the yoke or the message of the law, they couldn't obtain to it. So it was hard. It was, I don't know if I can do this. I have to fulfill all these things. I have to, to, to tick all these boxes. This is not easy. This is not making me want to get up in the morning and celebrate. And Jesus comes and he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. My message, what I carry, my interpretation of these scriptures is easy and light. And I promise you'll want to carry it. That's the message that started circling around. And you know how we know that? Because Jesus' first sermon was what sermon? Go for it. The Sermon on the Mount was his big, was his first big, um, sorry, I just need to get some water. The Sermon on the Mount was his first big appearance, public appearance. He does, we, we read in, in the Gospels that there's a few things he does before that in, in healing people, but he's, his first expression to the masses. And how many people were there? So many that he had to climb up the mountain to be able to preach to all of them. Why? Because his message had gotten around that his burden was easy, and his, his, sorry, his yoke was easy and his burden was light. All of a sudden, we see this message from this, this rabbi who now carries the authority to, to interpret the scriptures his way, and his way was the way that the Father had intended from the beginning. So now people come from all over. I want to hear this, this rabbi who carries Samika, who carries the authority given unto him, and he's going to tell me an easier, lighter way. After a, after a rabbi had gone through, all the way through the, the training, the first thing they would do was that they would go back to the Bet Talmud, back to the school, and they would pick disciples, ones that would follow them and learn the yoke that they carried, that they learned, they would pass on. They'd go back to the school. They'd get to, to go back in and choose who they were going to have as disciples. They would go back to the Bet Talmud, the school of the disciple. Why? Because they knew that all of those students already knew the scriptures. They knew that they were trained and learned, that they followed the law, because if they hadn't, they wouldn't be able to become the rabbi, a rabbi. So they knew that they were going back and picking pure people who had already been qualified to actually enter in. And this is the most incredible thing about who Jesus was. Because Jesus gets to choose his disciples. He first goes down to the river and he comes to Simon, who he later calls Peter and his brother Andrew. And he says this in Matthew 4.19, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
Then he goes to James and to John, who were also on a boat with their father. And he calls them. The language was, follow me. He calls them, come, come with me. They drop everything that they have and they leave. The next one we see is, is Matthew, tax collector, beyond disqualified. Jesus calls out to him. He says, Matthew, follow me. Come with me. The interesting thing about this is that they, they drop everything that they're doing and they leave the work and they follow Jesus. They drop everything. James and John, imagine this. James and John are working with their father's work. They would have been deckhands to their father, doing everything that the father was, would have been doing, making their work well. Jesus says, come with me. They get off the boat and follow him. Just leave everything behind. The father would have been like, well, I guess I'll do the work now. But he was excited and he would have been ecstatic for them because they got to step into something they were already disqualified from. The most highest honorable position they had just been asked, not by any rabbi, but by a rabbi who carried Samika, the authority to make their, his, his own interpretation, his own yoke from the, from the scriptures. So we don't see the father get upset or try and hold them back. He would have been overjoyed. My boys, my boys have been asked to go and follow the work of, of the greatest rabbi who is to come. And my boys have been asked. I'll do the work. Go. You see, so often, I'll get to that later. We have to understand the importance of what it meant then to be a disciple. That that father, they left everything behind. All that I have, all that I carry, they've left behind. That's phenomenal. When we understand how big that picture is, that is phenomenal. Jesus calls a Matthew, a tax collector. I love the first five people that Jesus calls into his discipleship team uh, wouldn't have got along with Matthew. He was the worst they, that he could have chose in terms of that. Not only was he a tax collector, he was a tax collector on the shores. He would have taxed the other four boys. There would have been a payment to him because Jesus collects them all from the same area. They would have collected taxes from those four boys. And he brings them on. He says, now we're all on the same team. I bring you broken from this place and you broken from this place and I'll bring you together. The yoke of Jesus, the yoke of our rabbi, Rabbi Jesus, qualifies disqualified people. That's how easy his yoke is. That it goes against everything that we saw in culture, everything that we saw in the picture of the day, it goes against it and he says, I don't care who you are, I'll qualify you. And I can do that because I carry the samika, the, the authority to tell you how easy my yoke is. You will become fishes of men. He wouldn't, they wouldn't have even understood what that meant. I'm going to become a disciple and you're going to make me a fisherman again. But they didn't, it, 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 it didn't cross their mind because they didn't do the hard work. They didn't have to go through all the training. They didn't memorize Leviticus. They didn't have to, to memorize Genesis, Exodus. They didn't have to do all that. Yet Jesus comes to them and says, come to me. We sit in that exactly the same position now. Jesus says, come to me. Follow me. 
But there's a trick in this. There's, there's something that we see in the scriptures that's not always highlighted is that we have to leave our boats behind. We have to leave everything else behind and say, Jesus, I will come after you. I will follow you. A disciple followed the rabbi every single day. He sat at the feet. Where to next, rabbi? Oh, we're going, we're going to, to this city? You know when Jesus, it says that he takes them to Caesarea Philippi? And we go, wow, they just walked over there. That's an astronomical journey in a car, let alone on foot. Come, boys, we're going to Caesarea Philippi. How long's the journey? 30 days. There. I'll give you a sermon and then we'll pack our bags and we'll come back. What? Look, we struggle to get up and read our Bibles. And he's like, let's go. Let's do it. We are a disciple of the most high rabbi who carried the most incredible yoke that we get to come into. But he's saying, come with me, follow me in everything that I do. That's why I'm so, I'm so burdened by this thing of Jesus. It's, a, it's, a, it's about you. Because that's what I see the disciples do. God, it's all about you. I'll come with you. I'll kneel with you and I'll learn from you. It's all about you, Jesus. What do you want from me? Because that's, the, the, the rabbis were so honored that they got to step into what they were disqualified from, that they didn't care about anything else. And they fluff it up all along the way, right up to, to Jesus dying on the cross and then coming back. They're still fluffing it up. But they still say, we don't quite get this, Jesus. But you're the only one who has words of life. And I'm honored to be with you. I'm honored to walk with you, Jesus. Because I didn't have to go through everything else. I didn't have to earn my way into discipleship school. I didn't have to earn my way to fulfill all the other things. You've called me and said, follow me and I'll come. You see, in that language, the only words they had to say was follow me because everything else was explained because they knew what it was to follow a rabbi. That's why we see Jesus just walk to the shores and say, follow me. He doesn't have to explain why. He doesn't have to explain what it looks like. He doesn't have to explain how they're going to make it through. They know that if I've been asked to be followed, if I've been asked to follow a rabbi, that is my life is going to be extraordinary. And everything I've got now is going to be tiny in comparison to what it's going to be when I get to follow a rabbi. We get to do that. As non-Jewish Gentiles, we get brought into a picture that we never would have understood. And I think sometimes in our day-to-day -day life, we actually miss the honor of getting to be a disciple of Christ. It's phenomenal that we get to be a disciple of the one true rabbi, the one true holy of holies, the king of kings. He's invited us, boy, girl, son, daughter, follow me. Follow me. So when we say in our, in our vision statement, well, we want to make disciples. Okay, what does that look like? I don't really know. I don't really know how to do it, but I know what it looks like. It looks like this. Pick up your cross daily and follow him.
Pick up the thing that he's given you. Pick up the, the call that he's given you and follow him daily. I believe that that verse, when it refers to us, our cross is the mission God's given us. Because we don't carry, none of us are going to get hung on a cross. Unless things turn bad. But even then, that's kind of not the, the way of the day. None of us are going to be hung on a cross. You're not going to die for each other's sins. It's already been done for you. No one else can do that but Christ. So when he says, pick up your cross, I, I believe what he's talking about in that is he's saying, no one else, no one else can die for your sins but me. No one else can bring you into salvation but me. But I have a mission for you. I have a call for you. I have a job for you to do. And I want you to pick it up daily and come with me. Follow me through this. Every time we sit down to read our scriptures, every time we sit down, we, we get to see it as, as if the disciples were sitting at the feet. Jesus, what about this? You know how we, we say often how amazing it would have been to be in that time? How amazing would it, would it have been to get to have asked his, him questions? I understand the thought in that. But we get the opportunity to do that now as well. We get the opportunity to sit at his feet and say, Jesus, would you show me? Would you show me who you are? And guess what? You didn't have to do anything to get that opportunity except for, Jesus, you are my King and my Lord and Savior. And I repent of the way I've lived. I want to live for you. He says, okay, follow me. You can become my disciple. That easy. Who wants to go back to the old way? The Jewish way. See, we have it so amazingly, but in our Western world, we get so caught up with everything else that's around us that we miss the fact, my goodness, I get to follow you, Jesus. I get to be with you. Go with me to Luke 10, 38, 42. If you have a Bible with you. If not, I think Brandon's spectacular. He can put it up. Putting him under pressure. Luke 10, 38 to 42. Most of us will know this story. But I think it's a story that has in some way been a little bit unfairly given to one of the ladies in the story. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. In the past, and I saw it like this too, is that we, we kind of look down on, on Martha for missing the point. But Martha was the one in the right here. Based on, based on ancient culture, Martha was the one who was doing the right thing. Mary was the one who was doing the wrong thing. 
But you see, when Jesus comes in and he carries his yoke, when he carries his interpretation, he says, Martha, what Mary is doing is the better way. Martha wouldn't have known the better way. Martha sees the great rabbi coming in and she says, I'm going to do the best of what I'm supposed to do. And what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to serve the men. I'm supposed to serve them. And she does it exceptionally well. And Jesus says, but Martha, my new way. This is actually a phenomenal message. Martha, my new way that you've missed because you haven't heard it. My yoke is easier than that. My burden is lighter than that. And he shifts the culture right there. He shifts the culture and he says, Mary has chosen my path, which is not the path of the current culture. We have a choice in the life that we outlive right now to choose the path of the one whose yoke is easy. This story that's taking place here is taking place every day in our lives. What path do I choose in this? What direction do I go here? And Jesus says, Mary has chosen, what does he say? A way that is better. He doesn't say that Martha was wrong. But he says, Mary's, Mary's put two things in her hand. Do I follow the culture or do I go and try and gleam in something of this rabbi? I'm going to break everything. I, I, we don't see it here, but I think the disciples would have been as cranky at Mary as Martha was. Because they wouldn't have understood this teaching either because it was the first time we see it explained. They would have been just as cranky. How dare she sit at the feet of the rabbi? She's not a rabbi. She's not a disciple. And Jesus says she's made the right choice. See, we get to make the right choice every single day with Jesus. God, what way do you want us to go? I want to stay in your yoke. Jesus says, bring your yoke up. Sorry, bring my yoke upon yourself. Bring my message, bring my understanding of the scriptures upon you because anything else is going to be heavy to carry. That's why in the, in the Western church, we get so caught up between law and grace because we, we try to carry something that's too heavy for us to carry. It's too hard to carry the law. That's why Jesus says, I'll give you something lighter. I'll give you the grace of who I am. Carry this, it's easier. Bring this upon your head, it's easier. We get to step into that. The point that I'm trying to explain and get across here is that we, we get brought into a covenant. We get brought into an ancient way of learning from the greatest person we could ever learn to freely without any issues and we get to rejoice in that. I woke up the other morning and I was praying. I didn't go to a special candlelit room. I, was just, I just opened my eyes and I was praying and I was... I became overwhelmed with how incredible it is that we get to worship God. And I was just saying, thank you, Father. Thank you that we can come before you. Thank you that we can stand with you and worship your great name, that we get the freedom to call you our rabbi, to call you our learner, that we can stand as a disciple of you in a place that, that we wouldn't normally get to be in. And you did it all for us. And we don't have to pay anything to do that. Anything. When I'm challenging us, myself as well, to read our scriptures more, it's not because I want you to, to know Leviticus from start to finish. It's because in these scriptures, 
we find a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. A bigger picture of who the King of Kings is, the Lord of Lords is. A bigger, a, a bigger grasp into who the rabbi is that we're learning from. And also we find the keys to understand this life. I've been blown away lately looking at, at different um, teachings of, from, from non-Christians, from atheists. Just looking at different things and seeing the, the gospel running through all of their messages. Because they understand that there's a spiritual truth that we can grab onto and actually watch it expand. You ask any, I mean, you don't get to ask them, but you can watch interviews on it. But do you watch interviews in some of the top actors and famous people in our day today? They all believe in the fact that when you speak about your life and you speak from a place of health, it will bring, it will bring life into you. But if you position yourself speaking about death over yourself, you will bring death upon yourself. That's a spiritual truth that they're cashing in on. But we get afraid to use the things that God actually gave us to, to operate in our world today. Jess and I were discuss, talking the other day and she, she said to me, I, I was driving home and I felt God challenge me to ask him for more. And I said to her, so what would you do? She said, I asked him for more. And then he challenged, uh, and Jess and I, when we pray, we, we pray from a place of, we just want to see you exalted, God. We just want to worship you. We want to see you in such a big way. We want to see your, your kingdom come more than anything. And he, and he said, I felt, I felt God challenge me again to ask for something specific. I said, what would you do? She said, I asked for it. This thing that she asked for, I'm not going to tell you what it was, but this thing is massive. And I laughed and, and she said, I really believe that God challenged me because he wants us to operate in who he is. And I don't care if, I don't care if God doesn't give us the things she asked for. But what excited me in that is, and I, I, I was so excited, I said to her, Babe, that, that right there is you saying, God, wherever you lead me, I'll come. I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. I want to be like Mary. I want, to, I want to leave this culture behind and kneel at your feet and say, God, whatever you have for me. I think this is one of the biggest stories in how we actually learn how to, to speak about our faith is that we just outwork it like this. Hey, why don't you do that? Well, because I really believe that there's a better way. Why don't you, why don't you sleep with your partner before you get married. My mates didn't understand that. The guys I was living with, that was a massive, they just didn't, they didn't comprehend for them. It didn't matter how well I explained it, what I said, it made no sense to them. But I kept going back to, I just think there's a better way. I think this way is better and I want to follow him as much as I can. I want to follow what Jesus had for me. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about God, I'm your disciple and I want to learn from you. So when we come together in this, in this place, when we come together and we, we worship God and who he is, we're also strengthening one another and shining each other up and becoming more and more disciples of him in understanding who he is, understanding what it is that he wants from us. And then when we go out, we carry that thing with us and then we're able to make more disciples.
we got to learn how to be a disciple ourselves. I always believe in this thing where you should have somebody who's discipling you. And you should also have somebody you're discipling. Because it keeps the conversation alive. It keeps the conversation about God always alive in your life. When we go and do stuff like the painting picture I showed you earlier, while we're painting, we didn't come together to talk about God. We came together to paint, which is fantastic. I love painting. It's awesome. We came to paint. But because of who we are, because of what oozes out of our life, we start talking about Jesus. Because now we're starting to grow each other. And I get excited by that because we're getting to stretch. And now when we go out into the world, we get to take that with us. To be discipling others, we have to be being discipled. We have to be sitting with God and saying, God, what, what do you want? Where, where, where do I start? What do I look at? Someone once asked me, how do I, how do I find this stuff out? I just... A, I ask God, and B, I research because I want to know. I read something like your yoke, and I'm like, what is that? What is a yoke? We don't understand that, but we've seen it on heaps of videos. We've seen that quote used. We've seen that stuck on a fridge. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. What's a yoke? So you've got to go and work out what a yoke is. Or we read a scripture, and it says something, and we just go, we don't know what that means, so we'll skip over it. But that's the, that's the key point in that entire scripture. And then we go, oh my goodness, that changes everything. That's asking God, God, show me this thing. There's verses that I read often and I go, that makes no sense. I research it, it makes no sense. I go back to it, it makes no sense. I say, God, what is this? It still makes no sense. And one day... I hope I'm sitting down and I open my, I open my, my, my Bible and I see that first again. I go, oh, I remember that one makes no sense. I'll just give it a quick read. Read it. Oh my goodness. It makes sense. And then I ring someone. Hey bro, have you seen this? Yeah, that one makes no sense. No, no, no. I've got some sense for it. God just showed me something. And then you get to start discussing it. And you get to start pulling it apart and opening it up. And then all of a sudden in my life, I go, Wow. So when I'm preparing sermons like this and I wake up and I go, Jesus, I'm a disciple of you. Your yoke makes me, who was disqualified, qualified. What you did allows me to step into who you are. Thank you. God, thank you for that. Now all of a sudden our perspective is that we're coming with this gratefulness and God starts going, now I can use you. Because you're not focused on your own stuff. You're focused on me and watch what I'll do. And then all of a sudden our life expands and explodes. Becoming a disciple is following him in every area of our life. Coming before him regardless of culture, leaving culture behind and saying, God, your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. When I step into what you have in this area of my life, it's easy and it's light. What your message is on these scriptures is easy. In my finances, in my marriage, in my parenting, in the fact that I'm exhausted because I haven't slept. In this, your yoke 
is easy. So I'll carry that. Just like the disciples, we have to let go of all the other stuff. He asked all of them who came to him to let go. He asked the rich, rich young ruler that as well, and he wouldn't. We have to let go of that stuff and say, God, it's yours. God, it's yours. And I think sometimes that's easy to do in truth. It's easy to do because we know we have to do it. But when we actually have to make it meaningful in our life, it's real hard to do. That Psalm 139, search my heart, God, search my heart, show me the areas. Go to, one, go to somebody you trust and say, hey, bro, is there anything in my life that you think I'm not submitting to him? I know I'm saying I've submitted my whole life and I'm saying I understand the truth of that, but what's the meaning of that? Is there anything in my life that I actually haven't given to him? But you can't get angry at the guy when he, or the gal when they give you the truth because that's the part. We'll go to a friend and say, hey, bro, is there, a, is there anything in my life I should fix? Yeah, bro, actually... I'm glad you've asked. I've been seeing these two areas hurting you. And then we go, whoa, 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 hang on. He offended me. You asked him the question. You asked him what he thought and he told you and you got upset about it. If you ask somebody, be ready for them to tell you that that one thing you're doing you think you're doing spectacularly well, that could be the area where they go, hey, bro, I think, I think this is hurting you. Because we have quite a pompous view of ourselves we we think we're doing well but the areas we think we're doing best at sometimes are the areas we haven't submitted fully to god because we think we don't need to because we've got it covered we have to come before him and drop to our knees and say god i'll follow you in this i'll follow you in this area teach me how to do it better i think i'm already doing it spectacularly but teach me how to do it even better in this house, we want to be able to create people who are being discipled by Jesus. That's one of our goals. So when we set up, like we did with Ephesians, when we set up things to preach, we believe God's putting us in that area and we're going to preach from a position of, I'm not going to hold back because of culture and I'm not going to hold back because it's going to be too, too difficult for you to hear because we have to learn how to let go of all that stuff and say, God, what are you really showing us? What are you really putting before us? So when Brad got up here and preached about, about sex within a marriage, I'm like, Brad, I don't care where you go with it. If you stay in the Scriptures, preach it because we need to hear it. When Edie comes up and speaks about warfaring and what it looks like and what's going to hurt you and what's going to not, I don't care where you go, just stay in the Scriptures because we need to hear it. That's what becoming a disciple is. And sometimes you need to learn how to operate in wisdom. Don't go to that friend who's, who's not a Christian and is walking in things and then say, you shouldn't be doing that. You've got to have wisdom, discernment, understand where God's leading you, where He's put you and why He's put you there. But then you get to take it out there and be a disciple and disciple others but it starts in here so i want to put this to you is that if you feel like sometimes the sermons that we are preaching are a little harsh or a little difficult to hear that's what we're aiming for to be purposefully harsh no to purposefully stir the pot no 
but because we want all of us to be thinking about what the scriptures are saying. If you hear a good sermon that you've already heard before, we've wasted our time. If you hear a bad sermon and you didn't pick anything up and it didn't make you wrestle with the scriptures, we've wasted our time. Every sermon you hear from here, from out there, from anywhere, any, every sermon you hear should point you back to the scriptures to pick up that verse and go, flip, I've never seen that before. Or flip, I don't know if he's right on that. Both of those things will encourage you into learning more about Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. And then you can take that out there. My final point, ask more questions. Ask more questions. The more questions we have about this, the more growth we'll have. Ask God more questions about his scriptures. Ask God more questions about your, about your life and where he's calling you to. When you get into a conversation with somebody who disagrees with you, ask more questions. Because at the end of the day, you don't want to try and convince them you're right. You want to go, oh man, he challenged me a bit. I'm excited I get to go and step into more. Ask more questions. That's what the disciples did. Is that okay? Does everyone understand? Does anyone have any questions? Oh, just ask some questions. Not ask questions. It's okay if you don't need to think. But does anyone have any questions about this or any of the other points? We've now covered three points. We want to reform the church back to originally who she was by focusing on Jesus Christ and staying focused on Jesus Christ to create disciples are the three points we've covered. Questions? None, zero, zilch, spectacular. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. God, I thank you that we, that we get to stand so freely with you and learn from your incredible goodness. I thank you, God, that you carry the authority that says how we should live our life, that says how we can operate in this day and age, that says where we're going and how we get there. God, I thank you for for dying on that cross and giving yourself so freely so that we could step into this. I thank you that you rose again, Jesus, that you were seated in glory and in power and that you were coming to consummate the ages. I, I, I just... I'm so grateful, God, for you and for what you've done for us. I thank you for this house, for everyone here. And God, I pray that you stir us to know you more. I pray that you set our hearts on fire, Jesus, to truly become disciples of you, to want to sit at your feet in every area of our life, regardless of the culture that's at hand. You are so worthy, Jesus. You are so worthy to be worshipped. And I'm so grateful that you put us here, that you softened my heart and allowed me to see who you were. I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Pray that as we go, Lord, you continue us to be able to disciple others in our spheres of influence, Lord. I pray for opportunity throughout the week, God to step out into you more for all of us, Father. We say we are willing. Yes, we will go. We will do as you've asked of us. 
You've invited us to follow you, and we will. We'll leave our boats behind. We'll come with you. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen. This Thursday night, there will be a few of us here, a heap of us, probably 260 here praying. Come and pray. Come and be a part of, of the engine room. Come be a part of uh, what we're doing here. There's a coffee at the back. Um, if you haven't had a coffee before, Sean will shout you one. Um, be blessed. We love you.